Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. It's great to be back. Beautiful morning, breezy morning here in Westport, County Mayo. I'm in the lovely Knock Ranny House Hotel this morning, sitting in my my bedroom, doing an intro for what is a great episode with Senator Lynn Rowan. Some people, some listeners might be familiar with her. If you're not, she's um, a senator who I've gotten to know over the last number of years through some mutual friends and mutual interests. And we talk on this episode uh, a lot about the big issues that she brings up in her political career inequality, access to education, trying to break uh, the cycle of poverty, talking about um, the sort of broader picture of the difficulties that people face, uh, you know, when they're not born into wealth, um, talk about sort of choices, and then we talk a lot about uh, decriminalization of drugs and the benefits of that in terms of breaking uh, the poverty cycle and perhaps uh, decreasing levels of violence uh, that have uh, that result in, in the drug trade. Anyway, it's a wonderful chat. Lynn is a great character. Um, for the, I, I read her book, which she had sent to me. I get a mention in it, which is always great for the ego. Uh, but in the book... Uh, I learned a lot about her life, which was quite difficult. She definitely was not born into affluence, tough childhood in Tala, teenage pregnancy, um, you know, not not a complete education in at the traditional age. And she talks a lot about how she fought her way out of that cycle uh, as a result of uh, the Trinity Access Program and other supports that were made available to her in Tala. Um, and it's it's it's. It's really a, quite the the story that she has, which uh, she then has that to back up the efforts that she makes uh, in her political in her political career and her activism, because really her political career is just a, a follow on from her activism, uh, her passion for trying to help uh, perhaps people that just weren't born with the same opportunities as others. Um, she did this podcast as a deal that I made with her because she asked me to MC a, a pub quiz as a fundraiser for her Senate campaign, which I am doing on the 27th of February, although I believe it's sold out. Uh, so this is this is the fee, doing the podcast. Uh, and I got two episodes out of her. I got this episode here for the Des Bishop podcast, and I also have an episode that will come out in a while for The Shift, where we talk about sex education and consent. Uh, but that's for a few weeks and not for now. Uh, for now, just quickly before I introduce Lynn, the Mia Mama tour continues. I'm here in uh, Westport for the weekend. It's sold out. Next weekend, all my shows are sold out. The following weekend, Cavan, 
has uh, has some tickets left if you're looking to uh, check out a show uh, in the Kilmore Hotel and Cabin. And then Thursday night in Cork. I'm doing three nights in Cork the first weekend of March. Three nights there. <clears throat> excuse me. Three nights in Cork. Uh, but the Thursday, there's some tickets left. Limerick uh, and Wexford also in March. Some tickets left for that. And then a two-week run in the Project Art Center, which you should definitely check out. Uh, weekend shows are sold out, but there are some tickets left during the week. Me and Mama, show about my mom. It's been going really well. Great night last night in Castle Bar. So do check that out. And finally, if you have been listening to the podcast again recently, you will notice that we have been putting it up regularly. We would appreciate subscription, five stars on iTunes. If you listen on Spotify, take a screenshot, put it up on your Instagram or your Twitter or your Facebook and say that there's great things happening over here on the Des Bishop podcast. We'll be back uh, in the next couple of weeks to finish uh, uh, to continue our chat about masculinity. Joanne McNally will be back with us, so we've got a lot of great stuff uh, coming up. Also, Stephen Mullen. Uh, but for now, this is a chat with Senator Lynn Rowan. Enjoy. So that's the end of that story. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, you're comfortable in the barn, which is great. I am. I mean, it's almost kind of, in a weird way, kind of connects us, all this. Our connection, in a way, comes from the barn. It does. In that I live in this area because uh, of people that I know from recovery. And you actually know some of those people, even though you're not in recovery. You're in yeah. denial about your addiction. Yeah. No, I'm hanging on in so I can I can dip my toes back in at some stage in my life. Yeah. Well, you're fi- well, the great thing is that you're fine. You know, that wasn't your problem. Your problem is that you didn't fucking know what a condom was. <laughs> That was that was yeah. really your your learn, problem. I didn't I didn't learn me lesson either first time around. I know exactly. Yeah. Well, I read your book, you know. So <laughs> I, I I read your book. I know about your story. You know, I mean, I read your book. I would have read it anyway, but you did send it to I me. Did send which it was to very you. nice. Which because I mentioned you. And I had yeah. to. That was the main reason why I read it because in I a got very m- weird context. But yeah. Well, yeah, you were having a tough time yeah. in your life. Yeah. And you used to just sit and me and Peter K. Yeah. <laughs> which I was happy with. Yeah. You know, yeah. and now your own daughter, your youngest daughter is bringing you my TikTok videos <laughs> being like, have you ever heard of this guy? It's like, I mentioned this guy in my fucking book. Yeah. But I gave you a, I gave you a bit of promo off it. You did. You did. Which is always yeah. the benefit of mentioning. Which, yeah. Well, I mean, in fairness, it's it's definitely not why I sent it to you. I also sent it to Roy Keane. Um, like, and he doesn't have social media around. Do you know what I mean? So people. Yeah, that, but he's fucking Roy Keane. I know. But people, when I was grown up that, um, it shows I'm younger than you. That's me giving that away. So when I was growing up, like the things I listened to, so Man United or comedy that I listened to, I sent it to people that I remember at significant times. If Tupac was still alive, he would have got a copy. Although, I don't know, man. I was just listening. To, <laughs> did you listen to yeah. the Tupac Biggie thing? Yes. Yeah. Did you watch Hip Hop Evolution? No, but I just was, when I was listening to the podcast, he's a bit of an asshole, Tupac. Tup- well, he had his moments, yeah. Yeah. But, like, I mean, he still was so young when he died. Like, he was still very much. Oh, listen, I mean, it's tragic to me. I love him. I mean, yeah. I'm a biggie guy, so that's like a stupid thing where I yeah. always have. No, like, I'm on the other side. You have to remember, I'm from Tala West. Like, so we. Oh, kind yeah, of, sure. We, yeah. <laughs> we kind of adapt, adapted the L West side little kind of. Oh, really? Thing with our hands, you know? But either way, I love all that stuff. And, uh, you know, you were young. Tupac was dead when you were getting yes. into him. He was. I had a couple of friends that were a good bit older that absolutely loved hip hop and rap and they would have introduced me to it when we'd be sitting around stoned in a field or in a house. Um, my friend Tracy and Bernie who are both dead now unfortunately but them, t- the two of them were inseparable and they were just crazy Tupac fans. 
They OD'd? No, uh, um, no. Tracy had an accident and then and then Bernie only died recently. All right. Yeah. That's the problem with hanging out with people like you. You just got these amazing stories, but they're just full of tragedy. Full of tragedy. I think that comes across in the book because every time I tried to tell a story, I couldn't get to the end of a childhood story without the fact that either I was the only one still alive or, you know, at least one or, or somebody two was people. in jail or somebody something. was dead or in jail yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah but you know we won't we won't dwell on that too much i mean your life is fat i mean i have to say when i was reading the book i was i was fascinated with how much shit you had to deal with growing up mm. which was familiar to me from all these guys that i know for, like around here and stuff but a lot of them got their lives together but few of them have managed to sort of accomplish as much you know, you, you had to put in a lot of work to accomplish what yeah. you accomplished. I did, like, but whatever about my ability to be able to put that work in, I also had, there was also other things at play. Like, I had a solid enough family household, so I had a safety, like, do you know what I mean? So there was no fear of me ever ending up on the streets. So, yeah, you didn't have, uh, like, you didn't have alcoholic parents or no, addiction no. So there in was your a, house. No, so I yeah. had some level of foundation of safety, do you know what I mean? So it's like that Maslow's hierarchy, like, you know, you can't really be socially responsible if your basic needs of safety and security aren't met. And I think at some level, I at least had safety and security within the household, whatever about when you go out into the community. But at least I ha- always had somewhere to go home to. Yeah. yeah. And does it bother you then if people use you as, a, as an example of, you see? Yeah. Yeah. You see? But that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. You know, one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I didn't want to be used as a weapon against my own community. As, you know, especially around, like with Leo Varadkar rhetoric, do you know what I mean? Around, it's really like, you know, free will. Every, everyone has free will. Everyone has choice and decision. And we live in a republic of opportunity. And it's up to you to step into that and make what you will of your life. And it's all there available to you. Do you know what I mean? So I wrote the book to be able to put some sort of framework on maybe why I was able to go on the trajectory that I did. So my 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 household, but also... I had some amazing mentors step in. So the state interventions helped me along the way as well. So stuff like community education or being able to have childcare, which are at the age of 16. So it was, I wrote the book in a way to show that actually with all these wraparound supports, I was able to succeed. Yeah. And other people don't have that same level of access to support or, you know, things have got worse and being able to access them in any way. Whenever people make that argument with me, I always say, yeah, well, you're right. I mean, somebody did make a choice, a bad choice. But the difference between a kid from Tala or Dolphins Barn and a kid from Fox Rock is that when you, you have it another chance, whereas you don't really get another chance here. Yeah. And your choices look different. So do we really have choice? So does a young lad from Dolphin House really have choice? When his choices, like, so what he can see within his own environment. Not to mention the age that he's making that choice. Exactly. 12, 13, younger, you know. Mm. So your choice, we, we don't have choice in the real sense of the word. And it's our choices are diluted somehow by the the our environment. Yeah. So do you know the way people talk about, like, um, equality of opportunity? And if we had that and we walk towards that everything's grand well it's that that's only grand if you're in you have a quality of environment so if dolphin house had the exact same type of environment as dublin four well then then you, you can, can have engage that arg- equally yes. in opportunity but if yeah. your environments our, our environments are so stark and different well then you can't engage in opportunity well i tell you that the cheesy hip-hop lyric i wrote years ago about inequality go on uh it, i was trying to write like i was writing like a like a hip hop song that was like the story of a kid from around here, mm. you know? 
and the line the chorus was they say he they say he made a choice but his choices were bad i'd rather have no choice than the choices he had well that's basically sums it up doesn't it exactly you know you're not choosing between engineering and medicine on your ceo you're choosing between survival and you know access to your own pair of runners so you don't have to wear your older brother's fucking bad air max that he's wore for yeah and obviously you know the people you look up to all you know all those arguments but i think people can can forget very easily and and the reason why i'm conscious of people probably use you sometimes an example of as you can get out of because i was dating a woman recently from the south side of chicago african-american lady and she had a apps like actually i've read your book so i can now tell you that Mm. her childhood was worse than yours yeah uh, because her parents well actually her parents her mother died right when she was born and she was luckily adopted by her aunt and uncle who were the only difference between her her parents and was was that they were alive because they were just as bad addicts anyway tough tough life she got out of it she's uh she's a lawyer and a lot of times people say but you're an example of how you can work hard and get out mm-hmm. of it and she says but you're the people who are trying to cut back all the funding for all the things that for made that it possible happen. for me on top of the luck you know she was lucky and actually her crack addict uh, step her crack addict adopted mother had an obsession with education despite the fucking all yeah. the shit she really cared about her getting an education yeah. and somehow because of that little bit of motivation and her access to all these different programs and obviously has like a the, her intellect was came out and yeah. it was obvious so they they pushed her into these programs she got that and all the people that use her as an example are the people that want to get rid of all that shit yeah exactly and i mean like it's <sighs> It's there's this there's this philosopher I can't think of him now. I think it's Belinsky or something. He's a maybe he's a Russian, but the philosopher. But when I, I read a, a piece by him that talks about you know breaking away from the chains of poverty, so it's not even only about being able to access them services, but it's very lonely. So yes. if you don't have it in you to you're 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 basically people have to step away from their own communities, their family settings. Yes. They have to step away from everything they know into a place where sometimes you know accents are different people are speaking with a different vocabulary and and that's scary so sometimes even if people have the ability to succeed often they choose to stay with their tribe and try and fight through the battle of poverty together so he talks about how people not even if the window of opportunity is there and they're looking at it and they can just about reach it sometimes they can't go any further because they would have to do it completely alone yeah it's so lonely yeah so it's about how do you help people flourish in their own community do you know what I mean? Rather than them having to leave their community yes. to flourish. Do you know what I mean? So, and I think that's always important because a lot of people that succeed in communities like this or in Tala, they, they they leave. So there's lots of successful people, pilots, nurses, doctors, but they don't live on our street anymore. So we don't know they exist. Yes. Because they've, you know, Separated got out as quick them. as possible. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so. And you can't blame them. No, I understand. Like, because people are looking for a calmer you know they want to break the intergenerational kind of impact of living in an impoverished community yeah but so how do you like nowadays you're you're a politician what what do you just if, if you're given like a talk to a six-year-old mm. what are the basic things that you say are essential to alleviate inequality alleviate poverty give people an opportunity it's it's it's, it's a really difficult question um what's your ted talk on inequality 
<laughs> well, I, I talk about it beyond. Talk, so I try to talk about I try to get under people to understand the nuances of inequality that goes beyond financial capital. So a lot of people just see the inequality of income, which obviously is a main driver in inequality, how, you know, communities and, and families are living in, in, in consistent poverty and then others aren't have a greater access to wealth and how that's divided. But there is also social capital and cultural capital. So if you have a community like um, the people that are living, say, in, in Dolphin House or in Fatima or Jobs here in Kilnarden, they also lack in social capital and cultural capital. Um, obviously, we have our own cultural capital and social capital that exists within our fishbowl. But in terms of being able to succeed in life, so the number of books you might have in your household or being able to access somebody that knows how to fill out a CAO form or, you know, being able to um, access the arts, being able to go to theatre, you know. So there's beyond financial capital, we actually lick, we, we, we lack very little connections to mainstream society for us to be able to even access them roots right down to a transition year student in Killinard and constantly being sent to the local shop to do their work experience. You know, rather right. but they might want to be, they might be interested in law. Yeah, whereas a daughter in, in Southside somewhere is going yeah, into a marketing they, company. They always have access. They always yes. have access. And that's social capital. And then there's also, for me, um, a deficit of information, right? So people think that because everything is on the internet, people in working class communities can just Google it and they'll know when the CAO deadline is or they'll know how to fill out a Susie Grant form to try and help their child get into college. When actually... When somebody from Killinarden or somewhere that um, maybe didn't finish school themselves, but are really trying to support their children to access education, will open up um, like the CAO form and it will be so foreign to them and scary to them. They won't know what to do, you know, and they'll back away from it and they've nobody to ask. So even the lack of ability to be able to uh, source the information to be able to help your child progress yeah. is massively in deficit. And, and I think some of them probably don't even care that much right a lot of the time in terms of the parents well you know that often you might have a parent that just would just be like ah it doesn't matter anyway he's probably not going to college you know it'd be like a, a defeatist yeah, mentality and I think, yeah i wouldn't say it's that they don't care it's that it's it, 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 it's, it's too much yeah and but sometimes it's it's um it's hard to prioritize education when sometimes the successful story within your family is that you managed to get your child say to the leave insert or they yes. didn't en they didn't end up on heroin yeah. So if your primary goal is I need to get my child through this really unfair environment without ending up on heroin like Joe did next door and so and so did yeah. next door. Like it's very hard to see that. Like so by the time you really want to be able to engage with our educational process, it's probably so far down the line that you're, you know, you're already in fifth or sixth year. So if your main goal is survival and get keeping your children out of prison, you know, keeping them away from violence they seem like bigger priorities in the moment because you're actually trying to get your child to adulthood. Yeah. So Alive. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's hard to go. I mean, because I did have a frustration in this neighborhood. I won't name any names, but one of them, children, uh, seemed to actually like, he was he was filling out the CAO, yeah. you know? And it looked like he was going to do something. And then I checked in with him. And I was like, what happened? Are you, are you going to Tala? You know, he's going to go to Tala Institute of Technology. I was like, are you going to Tala? And he was like, no, my, my mom just, you know, said I'd be better off working for the year. I wanted to fucking go there and kick down the door. Yeah, but yeah, I can't separate parents from their own 
in poverty. Men- yeah, mentality. No, not even their mentality, right? So when you become a parent, when you've experienced poverty, lack of employment and lack of education, just because you've become a parent, you don't all of a sudden become aware of how to access the pathways through life. Otherwise, you would have accessed them yourself. Yeah. Do you know oh, what I mean? Yes, of course. That makes sense. So you can, we can't, we seem to separate parents in, 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 in that situation from their own history. Yeah. And we can't. By the way, it was my godchild, by the way, yeah. just in case anyone thinks I was butting into, <laughs> just in case anyone thinks I was butting into, I have five godchildren. He was my oldest, my first godchild. Uh, but anyway, he's a great kid. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of half joking, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I experienced what you're talking about yeah. to a degree. Yeah. You know? So, and it feels like people don't care, but that's, that's just not accurate. Sometimes people are scared. Sometimes people have to face their own lack of understanding of the system. So it's easier to pretend your kid doesn't want to go to college and go, I don't know how to help you. Like, you know, to be able to be at that level of self-development where you're going, I don't know how to help you. How can we get you the help you need to be able to access IT talent? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's about how do we create systems where we can educate the whole family because it's intergenerational. We can't, it's not only just about focusing on the next generation because we need the generation before them to be able to support their children on that journey and through that process, you know? So how much money does that need? Does a holistic approach (laughs) like that require? Yeah. Well, I think it doesn't, I don't think it requires very much. I mean, we have a lot of community development in this country that just wasn't re-resourced and that would have played a huge role in terms of supporting the whole family but you also have the likes of say on Kassan that works directly with women in Tala and that's where I would have went originally so oh, right so you, you got outside help not that yeah. that's not from the government no so they they would have state funding as well right um but it was set up originally through fundraising um and uh, but they focus on educating women because they see like educating women um you can educate the whole family and alleviate a whole family out of poverty right which is fair enough because you have so many households within those communities being being led by women you know yes and um so they focus on that intergenerational aspect of poverty so they also have rainbow house so your child comes with you so while i was learning jordan was getting an early start at the age of one to the age of three within rainbow house which was a crash do you know what i mean so the two of us were supported in that process and you how old were you when you had jordan 15 15 yeah yeah did you write in the book? You never thought about going to England or anything, right? No, my mom had suggested it to me. She, in so many words, she said, "You know, you have options." Right. And at the time, I I had never had a conversation about. I didn't understand. Like we, it was never. It never came up. Like we didn't. I didn't understand abortion or whatever. But I actually was quite excited about being pregnant. So it was. Yeah, you were kind of into it. Yeah. Which is weird to me because I see it happen here. Yeah. You know what? In fact. Yeah. Same family, one, all those kids that I was trying to help in any way, they all have fucking kids before me, except for the kid that I just mentioned. But like, she was like, whatever, 18, one of them, you know. And she was like, I'm pregnant. I was like, oh, and she was like, it's great. And I was like, all right. But in my head, I was like. I don't know. I think at some level, if if you, and I don't know whether we do this, whether the, this is me making assumptions and trying to analyze the situation, right? Well, so, yeah, you went through it. So at some level, if you don't really think you're going to succeed in every other area of your life, but you could possibly become a good mother and feel useful 
in rearing a child. Yeah. So we all seek out situations like where we meaning. feel useful with meaning. Yeah. We don't want to be a burden. So, but if I am, if I can be a mother, well, then I can find my sense of self through that identity, because I'm not going to get the, you know, leave and say that I want to go to college. You know what I mean? So it's like we all look for. You weren't conscious of that at the time. No, right? but no. You, you you were excited. Yeah. I was excited and, you know, I thought... Yeah, I reckon that maybe that there must be some hormonal shit going on too. There yeah, must be some sort of like evolutionary self-preservation thing that makes you care. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like sorry, that, that, would, that, would, that would take your 15-year-old brain to make you think, nah, I'm not, I'm not taking any other option but having but this, this... Yeah, I want, and I wanted... I, wanted um, I had felt so disconnected from my parents for a long time at that stage... Not because they hadn't kept trying to love me, but I was rejecting their love. And that was a big gape and hole in my life at the time because I had such a loving connection with my parents. So when yeah. I rem- when I stopped allowing them to love me, maybe I was seeking that love out in this other connection through me and a child. Maybe, yeah. You know? Mind you, it's normal enough adolescence to be sort of rejecting your parents, yeah, though. Yeah, no? but I'd done, it, I'd done it in a very violent way. I was very... I was re- I was an awful child. Like you were rebelling hard. I was. Re- I wouldn't. Come, my parents would be driving the streets. They'd be ringing the guards, social workers. They were begging for help. They like my dad. To- my dad drank for the first time at forty two when he finally retired from playing football. Do you know what I mean? Like th- he respected the institutions of the state. He was very mannerly. Um, my mom was um, again they just worked since they were 12 13 they just you know but I was bringing something to their house that they had never they yes. had they, they had no understanding of whatsoever so 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 in a way you probably yeah there was so much about getting pregnant that put put I guess put like something a, back together like a dam of mm. to stop the flow of your yeah. madness yeah it did and that doesn't happen for everyone like I mean some people will continue on a on, yeah. on a on a on a you know a journey of complete trauma even even during pregnancy. But there there was something I said, and maybe it was the fact that the only way I I knew how to mother, even though I was still m- mad during my teenage years after I had Jordan, not in the same way, but my mother was such a solid mother figure that I was able to somewhat mirror that as best that I could as a fifteen. And was she happy to have like essentially another child? No, like she, they, they were upset at first, but with everything that I've ever done in my life, my parents are upset momentarily and they're very good. And maybe I get a lot of their skill, my skills from them. So they might not have had the same level of education or the same way. They might not speak and spoken in the same way as me and engaged in life in the same way as me. But they definitely had very good skill sets. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So they were very good at, being, you know, going, right, well, this is the situation. What do we need to do now to support her? And you know what I mean? So it, it, they just they just became supportive so you had that you had that which again you've mentioned before is like this this base thing for the hierarchy of needs but then you you went to you went to rainbow house like do you think jordan saved do you think she saved your education as well as stopping you being mad because i suppose it gave me a reason to know that um well if i you know i'm not gonna i had stopped taking drugs then so i had kind of started to wonder that I might not think that I might not die because I had this obsession that I was going to die very young so my friends were so when I became pregnant and had Jordan I was like well what will happen to me now if I don't die 
and I haven't gone to school and I haven't anything. So there was a little thing in me going, well, maybe I should try and get some form of education. If I think some of that is maternal instinct, maternal instinct and possibly also that up until a point I was actually really good in school. Like I did have capabilities as well. My mom taught me to read when I was two. So when I was sitting down reading ladyboard books from the age of two, I read a book a week. I, you know, so um, like my mom would go to Kilimanjaro shopping center on the local link. Like there wasn't a square at the time. And every week we would go and she would buy me a book with her shopping. And she taught me how to read. So you had a, des- you actually had a desire to use your I intellect. did have a desire. And I wasn't yeah. afraid of learning either. So, um, you know, even when I was like, I was street, I remember street buying methadone and taking benzos. And we used to, we used to, like, it's weird, like in Ireland, they think they've owned a, a problem with benzos in the last 10 years. And it's like, well, we're trying to tell you 25 oh, I know, which years that, do, like. that makes me laugh because <laughs> when I first started going to NA, like everybody yeah. was on about DF-118 and <laughs> yeah, benzos yeah. and whatever the fuck else they were talking Domain about. Domain and Roach and Yeah, D-tokies. Roach, Roach, yeah, yeah. Blue, blue, what was, like yeah. funny, if you say Bluey now, you think of a Viagra, but yeah. they used to say Blueys. I don't yeah. know what fucking pill yeah. that was. The volume is blue. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Is that it? So, and then still not as well, and Zimmos, and you know, so like we would have friends go and get jobs purposely in United Drugs. Out of hand. You know, to give it. <laughs> but like we used to buy, if we scabbed enough money at the shop, we're odds we'd go in and get someone to win and buy a flagon, and then we'd go to one of the local alcoholics, swap him a flagon for his prescription. Do you know what I mean? Oh, really? And we were doing that at the age of 12 or 13. And I remember thinking, um, I really want to try heroin, really want to try heroin. I was pulling towards it. And uh, I think what saved me from that is the fact that my mom had taught me to read so, so young. So I had developed very good ability to take in information and not be afraid to read things, even if it was above like what I'd be used to. So I went and researched everything I possibly could about heroin use. Really? But I think that I think that came from the fact that I'd been reading I've been such an avid reader for a side such effects. A long time. Side effects include completely destroying your life. <laughs> no jails, but, institutions, and death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember sitting in the library and I didn't understand every word, and I would have to like write down all the words I didn't because they were very technical books I was trying to read. But I what it what that process also did for me was probably stop the impulse of me smoking heroin that day because I decided yes. to research for. So sometimes right. these are impulsive decisions, but I had delayed the impulse of action. But you must feel lucky that you're not her- you weren't extremely, you yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. that's why, which I, I do too, by the way, yeah. because like I was a, in college in Cork when I finished up. But like, had I had access to heroin, I definitely mm. would have tried it. But I never, it, I was never even close to it. Like, yeah, never even came like anywhere near my orbit. Yeah, which I'm just grateful for. Yeah, and I think like for me, I was, um, and I don't know how how you would explain this, or maybe there is scientific ex- explanation for it, but. I'm very drawn to like altered states. Do you know what I mean? Like even watching a film, if someone's in an altered, I'm just, I'm back in, I'm in the film, a documentary. I, you know what I mean? So there's something about me, my makeup or my perception of life that I absolutely crave being in altered states of mind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're a fucking and fantasist. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. But that fantasy has probably got me here. Yeah, which is great. No, that's the, that's when all the all the psychology people got into altered states was that sense of opening yourself up, realizing your potential, you yeah. know, finding a greater yeah. sense of who you are. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, just just quickly because I want to talk about one other thing. Uh but so so in terms of just to broaden it out on a on a on a policy basis. Yeah. Single, single mother uh, looking for education, 
a, a troubled kid that's already been in trouble with the law. Like what? Let, let, let's even because because we've actually been chatting for quite a while, and I want to get a few things in. Let's let's also tie in the election. So now there's been like like a left wing surge, right? What are the things that these guys should be doing now uh, in terms of access to education, uh, inequality? We'll talk about. Well, let's not even talk about housing because it's just there's going to be so much of that. But just just on those things, I think I think it's hard to not talk about housing. Well, include it then. That's fine. I was trying to give you a break. Yeah, no, it's a- hard not to talk about housing when you're talking about people being able to engage fully in life. Do you know what I mean? Because if you don't have a permanent space to build off, well, then you know it's going to be very hard to want to engage in education. Oh, so let me ask you this then, just quick. Do you think that that's a more complicated scenario than, say, when you had Jordan? In other words, like, totally. that that's a bigger issue than yeah. it was. Yeah. Even though the housing situation, say, in Tala and Ballymont were not ideal. No. Now we have this, we still have new, this new scenario of yeah. actually no option at all. Yeah. yeah. So w- we've moved even further back in terms of being able to access people into education because we've so many mothers that just need access to a home. You right, know? right. So if we had a much more stable housing situation, so, you know, you know the way we talk about emergency accommodation being a hotel, right? Yeah. Um, but the problem is that that state of emergency for that family never actually ends when they end up in a house unless that house is a city council house or, a, you know, a, a county council house. If you're just ending up in the HAP system, you're ne- you're always living in a state of when am I going to be moved on from here? When is the landlord going to sell? Do you know what I mean? So the HAP system currently is one policy area that needs to be massive, massively addressed because it's like we have this obsession that women should just take home the first home they're offered. Doesn't matter where it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you're talking about vulnerable, often single mothers. Um, that have either had to leave their jobs or were made redundant during austerity, even if it was... Or abusive partners. Abusive partners, anything like that. And you're saying, well, they should just take whatever they're offered on HAP, right? And then we'll we'll attack them if they don't take the first house they're offered. But taking a woman out of her community when she has no other resources in life or supports in life, you need your social connection. So it's so important to be able to build communities where people can still access their identity and their histories and the generations of support around them. Putting a single mother 10 10 kilometres even just, or, you know, whatever, 10 miles from Tala to town um, away from her family, like if she doesn't have much of an income, how is she ever going to be supported by, you know, her wider family if she wanted to just get a few hours work in the morning? How is she ever meant to get that yeah, child to exactly. someone to even watch them? How is she ever even meant to go to shop if she doesn't have anyone around that can watch her child or child has fell asleep or something? Do you know what I mean? Like you need access to so support. So what, what, what are they going to do? So you need to be able to, like, obviously, you know, if Owen O'Brien ends up in the housing brief, um, he knows the issues. He knows the problems. We've been saying them for a long time. So it's about, you know, it, it, fixing the HAP system and building, you know, public housing that has amenities and has youth clubs and has resources. And when you're looking at cost, we can't we constantly look at, well, what's the cost of that? Yes. What's the cost of the education system? And I always think that, you know what, we've been thinking about things in, in an upside down way for way too long. It's about what's the cost of not doing it? Mm. So 
the cost of not providing housing, the cost of not providing education, the cost of not investing in young men is you paying the cost at the other end in the prison system, in the health system, in the social welfare system. Mm. So we're already paying the cost. We're just paying it at the wrong end. Yeah. So if you flip it on its head and you start... But they complain on both sides. The people that are against investment in... Uh, in inequality yeah. complain on both sides they complain about the cost of building the houses and then they complain about the people that are on the social welfare system. yeah yeah but actually if they build solid communities that have access and have a good wage and have access to employment and have access to what they need your social welfare system or your social welfare spend reduces your your expenditure in the prison system reduces like if it's a hundred thousand euro nearly a year to house a prisoner right Every year, all them prisoners are costing the state 100,000 euro. But yet, our governments can't even fathom the fact that imagine investing that 100,000 in that family's childcare when that child is born, so that their child, Mm. they've childcare and the family has an option to go out and work, or invest that 100,000 in, you know, housing for that one family. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you look at the amount of people in the prison systems from our communities, imagine if that 100,000 was invested somewhere else in that life along the way yeah it would just look totally different so i think it's about we need to shift the conversations at the cost of not but unfortunately all governments and i hope Sinn Féin do it differently is no one's really playing the long game so they're all working in election cycles of how many election promises we can fill before we have to go to the polls again sure and would you would you have some sympathy with how it has seemed to have changed in the last two decades where it's almost impossible to play the long game yeah like it does seem to be uh that investment back into society has become less and less popular at a time where it becomes more and more well actually the housing crisis which is the same in every major city in the world is a direct result of that isn't it yeah that there hasn't been the investment back into society and now we're left with this problem yeah like i mean there is european cities that have addressed homelessness and like i mean um i don't know the the the, the full way the vienna system works off the top of my head but i know that that's apparently a good model for us to try and replicate so i know there is places that have done well and are, are are completely turning around the level of homelessness and the type of homelessness yeah but we're not really looking to them models hopefully we can under under a new government would be the hope you know i think well, the ho- if the hope would be if this new government is gonna lean more towards the sensibilities of european social democracy yes the, the, but the problem is that you need more than one quick election cycle with some sort of rainbow that. coalition to yes. fix that yeah and i think that's the one of my biggest fears is that we had such a high turnout in some of our communities like like I went to the two local schools in Killinard and Knockmore where people were voting to bring my daughter to one and then I voted in the other. And I've never seen flows of cars and people and like actually people Did queuing Did Paul Murphy up. get in again? Yeah. So actually queuing up to, to vote. I've never seen a queue ever. In 20 years of voting, I've not seen a queue like that. And that was apparently all day. So for me, what we have to do is whatever about policy, fixing policy and what happens at a governmental level then parties and those left-wing parties and then community workers, everyone, need to be able to empower and engage the community at a rapid rate to understand that it's going to take one, two, three elections to be able to actually meet the demand that they're clearly asking for by them polls going up. So my fear would be that if you have an election in the next year, two or or three years, all them new people that voted for the very first time, all them young people that were like, no, we want change, we want to see a change in government, in three years they won't have seen a massive change and that turnout will drop again. So I think we have a lot of work for us to be able to show that it's going to take, 
you know, probably two elections. It's probably going to take three, four, five, six years to get to the, as many social bills. Um, Fine Gael were never going to do that. I mean, they, they've they've fudged the figures constantly. Like, I mean, they, they just want the PPP system constantly where we actually need rapid cost rental models and, and public housing bills. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they were just ideologically opposed to that. Now, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but how do you not recreate the problems that social housing created? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The past in terms of, yeah. you know, the that all the social deprivation happens in certain communities and yeah. a lot of it had to do with the way they were designed. Yeah. Um, I suppose, like, amenities was a big one. So local people had to fight for a very long time in response to communities just kind of, you know, families being picked from all over. Like we came from Ballymoan, you had a lot of people from Crumlin and whatever all being put out to Tallaght to the suburbs, right? Yeah. So when you had that, there was nothing, there was nothing. Yeah, so you just put loads of working class people into a community. Um, some people that didn't, that weren't, that were intergenerational poverty. So not every household has the same level of, like I, when I say working class, it's probably, I'm really misusing the word in some cases because. Sometimes it's almost like an under, like a. Yeah, but I, I hate wh- the word underclass. Underclass, but what is the word? Yeah, it, I just don't like that word. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think know it's a real mean, yeah. demeaning kind of word. Well, I but, guess it means the the group that somehow seemed to have been left behind completely. Yeah, right. So they might have like two or three generations that haven't been able to like gain, you know, good employment to be able yeah. to, to look after their household or you know, whether that be addiction and other stuff existing in the house. So mental health, which is only like a thing that people talk about now now, in the last 20 years. And then, but what we also had, right, was local people having to fight and fight and fight for services. So the services weren't automatically there from the offset. So community centres, like the community centre in Bluebell only exists, people remortgaged their house to build it. Like, and then they got the Jesuits, the Jesuits came in from Turkey or something and built it and everybody then in the estate, some people remortgaged their house, everybody else paid in so much money um, to try and get the community centre built. Like, so no, there was no state interventions from anywhere to make sure that the communities could gel together in a positive way, that they had sports, they had outlets, they had, you know, that, that their schools were adequately, adequately resourced, you know, so. So would you have hope that in a, a, a potential future development of social housing? Yeah. Will, will address these issues and yeah. it will be different. So where our governments have all gone wrong and I'm no expert on any of this because like, I mean, I've never had to sit in a department and be yes. a minister. So it's easy for me to say this on the outside looking in. So, but 
and the departments work very much in silos. So if you have an education department, a social protection department and a housing department, but yet only the housing department is uh, developing the plans for housing, how does that make sense? when social protection is so crucial in that and then education is so crucial in that. So would it not make sense that like the departments should be working together to build, to, to develop community plans so that the, the right amount of school places exist, that the right amount of schools will exist, that the right amount of shops will exist, that if we're looking at the youth population, what's that going to be in that community? Well, what are they going, going to need? So you have the children the, ch- the children's minister going well this is what's going to be needed for families to flourish but they don't do you know what I mean they don't work as a collective even though mm. they're a government and like just as an example last year I'm on the education committee Alice Mary Higgins on the social protection committee and John Dolan's on the disability committee and uh, so much of our work kept crossing over so we asked could um, our Eroctus committees meet as a tree committee to actually discuss the education system, disability and social protection and how all that work was crossing over so we could work better together to actually achieve something. We we had to put a standing order before the Oroctus to get permission. Like we couldn't just sit. There was a load of bureaucracy. I had to actually be voted on in the chamber. Like if anyone had said, no, them committees aren't meeting. It was like unheard of to have three committees sit in a room and meet about a similar thing that they all crossed over on. Do you know what I mean? So, and that's what's happening in departments. I know, but I often wonder if, 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 if part of the problem with the modern world is that all these bureaucracies are incapable of dealing with the issues of the modern world. But you also have a lot of conservative civil servants that are the invisible government, right? So they're just seeing ministers coming in and they're going, oh, here, this minister's not going to create a load of issues for us to have to, you know, write new policy and new legislation and completely transform how we do things. Do you know what I mean? So there actually needs to be an overhaul of the whole civil service. I know, but... That's a toughie. It is a, t- <laughs> it is a toughie. Do you know what I mean? That's but why like, you're going for the fucking Senate. And you're not going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these but motherfuckers like, yeah. will have you gone. Yeah. That's yeah. the that's the deep state, yo. The deep state. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, but I have sympathies for civil servants. They get a they get a hard time, but yeah. then at the same time, like I, 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 I do think that there is there is inefficient bureaucracy, yeah. but it's very hard to tackle that. Like, will Ken Sinn Fein come in and? And 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 to deal with that, I don't know if they can. I think if you if you're a strong leader and you're not going to be convinced by a strong civil servant that you can't do something, you, you know, need a bigger I've, mandate I've, though, right? I feel like you need almost like a single party system. For, like, sorry, you need yeah. like a, a single party majority. For well, that. I mean, if I look even at a Fianna Gael government, I'm not going to call out their ministers now, but I've operated with a few of those ministers, so I would, I would have collaborated and collectively worked a lot. And I would be over on the ministerial corridor and there would be, say, me and, and, and my secretarial assistant and, you know, a minister and maybe some civil servants. And we'd be negotiating back and forth on an amendment that I won't. They don't want it. Right. So they're going, no, no, no. The attorney general said it's unconstitutional. We're going to take that amendment down. And I'm going, no, it's not. No, it's not. And I'm bringing in constitutional lawyers to advise me and I'm pushing back against the attorney general. And then of hours and hours of meetings. Right. A civil servant finally says something and you really get to the truth of why they're pushing back. They're trying to tell you it's the Attorney General and it clearly wasn't. What they said then in that one meeting was, we don't have the time and data systems to collect all that. So actually I got to the crux of it. They actually they couldn't bother their fucking hole. Yeah. But they would try to use the blockade yeah. on me of the Attorney General. And that just wasn't true. So I was too dogged that I was like, I'm going to just fight you all the way. I think you're wrong. And I don't care what the attorney, attorney general says. But in a way, sometimes do you worry that 
Do you then come across as like a right wing politician complaining about fucking inefficient government? No. No, I'm just curious. That, <laughs> that is like the argument that you hear from like yeah. the deep state. You know, yeah. not, not, I know people get into the deep state yeah. conspiracy theory wise, but the other part of the deep state is basically that these unelected civil servants are really the ones that control everything. But you see, because they have the institutional knowledge and they understand how the system works, it depends really what department you're going to be working with. Do you know what I mean? So like other departments, you know, like the health department can be really, really good to work with on some things, not on others. So sometimes their own personal biases are coming in in terms of what they're pushing back on and what they're not. And decrim is one example of that. Um, yeah, which I do want to fucking talk about. Yeah, God well, I mean, I'll, use that, I'll no. use that as a quick example, right? So the Department of Health and the Department of Justice um, would have to work together on decrim. Because the drug is illegal, but you're trying decriminalization. to... Decriminalisation. Yeah, decriminalisation All these people aren't fucking so deep in it that they've, they've shortened <laughs> sorry, everything. Sorry, I didn't have the heart to interrupt you to say that HAP <laughs> is a housing assistance program. <laughs> you just assume everybody knows, know, you know? I know, I <laughs> know. Um, so, decriminalisation of drugs, for me, is about decriminalisation of the individual, of addiction, of marginalisation. Uh-huh. Um, but the drug is still illegal so you're not legalizing the drug and sometimes people get mixed up on on what them to mean so if you were caught by a guard he can still take the drug off you if Mm. under a decriminalization model can i go back to saying decrim yeah you can say decrim sorry i was only joking (laughs) i was i was only joking no it's good to explain it because people do get mixed up even on the differences between legal and oh yeah so but so you have the justice department and the health department the only reason we don't, I believe, have decriminalisation now is because the Justice Department pushed back. The Health Department wanted it. We didn't have a strong enough uh, Minister for Drugs who um, is no longer in her seat now in this constituency. Um, we didn't have, we, she wasn't strong enough in her leadership to push, push back against justice. Now, it's very hard, in fairness, to push against justice because they would be seen as a a different type of department to the rest. Do you know what I mean? Like the justice minister seems to always be much more senior yes. in their role. And, yeah. you know, it's a more important position. It, it's yeah. And, um, so the differences between the two of them means that we don't have drug decrim. We had a, we had a public consultation under this government on drug decriminalization. Over 22,000 people submitted the biggest ever public consultation in the history of the state. And ninety odd percent, um, if I can remember, I, it is not. It's, it's over ninety. Said there shouldn't be a criminal sanction for possession, mm. and we still don't have drug decriminalisation. Oh, we don't have it. So but Aidan O'Riordan got elected, though. Yeah. So they they put together a group, a working group led by a judge called Garrett Sheen, on that group to look at drug decriminalization and to assess all those consultation um all that consultation process was the dpp the guards civil service uh Eamon keenan who's the head of trinity court um and two judges one being the chair trinity court is the methadone clinic yeah. Right? yeah 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 and um two um people that had been service users at some stage or participants or whatever phrase you want to use um of a of a drug service right so they refused to allow any of the bodies working in society on drugs into that space. So citywide, um, Anna Liffey, all the people key. with the huge amount of research that have been working on this, they refused. So you had something being run primarily 
by institutional, you know, they, they had a vested interest, the DPP, the guards. Now, they allowed me to present to it. Um, and I presented my legislation to it for drug decriminalisation. And in the end, what they said was that because, and I kind of knew this is where they would go with it, because we live in a common law state, and the UK is a common law state, and if you're looking at Portugal for the Portuguese model of decriminalisation, yes. they are a civil law state. So the, 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 the laws in which we, we operate within a different legal framework, which means What's in, the difference? in Portugal you can have more local powers to be able to say send somebody towards a health diversion program so common law i think is more i can never pronounce the word now um oh my god um so basically it's what's the p oh my god i i i, I don't I, even I need want another letter. i don't even want to attempt it i need another purest jude pure oh, oh oh go on i know the word but i i can't i i, I won't be able to say it was it pure, purest, purest, purest pudence or something? <laughs> this is the clip that's going on. Pure, pure, pure uh, I, I can't remember. You know I, what I'm talking about. Well, listen, I don't fucking make me money talking about bleeding inequality. Like, you know? <laughs> I'll Google it. Do you know what's funny just to trying to pronounce that word? Sometimes I get me if I'm speaking on something that uh, say I'm rushing towards or whatever and I'm not just speaking off cuff and I do ask Seb who works in my office will you put a few notes together for me? And he, he went to private school boarding school an amazing vocabulary right? And sometimes I'm in the chamber and I realise he's putting a word and I'm like I have no idea how to say that. <laughs> and I'm like left in the chamber. I don't, I don't even know how to look it up. P- purest students. Yeah, it's like pure jippidence, no? <laughs> but I couldn't even write it in. Um, but basically, um, it's looking back, like, so it's like case law. Do you know what I mean? So right. what has been... Oh, oh, it, you know what the problem is? It's it's jurisprudence. That's what's... <laughs> no, you're saying the, it backwards. The, the, you're, you're saying it backwards, yeah. yeah. Jurisprudence. <laughs> the theory or philosophy of law. It's just a legal system. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's good to know. You learn right. something every day. So... Yeah, but so so sorry because I, I I got caught up on that. But the, the difference between oh so so what is it? It's basically like in terms of who has jurisdiction over over a situation. Is that yeah, is that yeah, why it's, it's one juris- part of it? So basically, the way they see it is that in um in a civil law state, you can have local guards being able to make decisions in terms of you know how they operate their this system, right? Where um we have it on, on a much more national scale. So, you know, the judges kind of historically have, the laws have been developed in that way. So the UK have a Drugs Act, the 1963 Drugs Act, and we've taken their drugs laws and we've placed it. So we have a lot of kind of UK templates. Yes. And we've never really done much with the Drugs Act. And now it is a bit of a rabbit hole when you win and start trying to fix it and, and tweak it. But basically what the guards didn't want to give up in Ireland in relation to if they decriminalise drugs is they wanted to still to have the power to stop and search. And they felt they wouldn't, because of civil law and stuff, they wouldn't have the local powers to still stop and search. Because, because why? Because the drug was drugs were decriminalised. But you're still So but, all but, that's pointing out is you're only stopping that person because you think they might have a bag of weed in their pocket. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so basically they just lose the they didn't want to lose the ability to be able to Well, 
Okay, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It's not that they didn't want to lose the ability to harass. I guess they felt like there was some benefit to them to be able to stop somebody. Yeah, but it does, like, what's unfair and unequal about that is, first of all, they already stop and search and take your drink off you and stuff if you're drinking. Yeah. Like, they already, in, in terms of public order offences. So I feel, uh, in, in terms of our legislation, there could have been public order offences that you could still stop and search Use, people yeah. under. But, so, basically their problem was they couldn't stop and search people which is wrong like if that's the only reason you're stopping and searching someone do you know what I mean like if someone's being violent or someone's being disorderly or somebody is you you obviously can stop and search them and, and address them so you're saying you only want to be able to search their pockets for drugs really yeah do you know what I mean but the problem that I have with that is it's, it's, it's extremely classist right so like I mean you know from living around here the likelihoods of stop being uh, like meeting with guards I mean your first story around wheelie bins the guards pull up the guards are, the guards are everywhere Yeah. so a young fella that has 50 euros worth of weed in his pocket in, on this street is more likely to be stopped and searched on a daily basis than a young fella in D4 absolutely. that also has the bag yeah, of weed absolutely. in his pocket so you have a law that exists and their justice system is about supposed to be about fairness and equal access to, to the legal process but actually, if you're more likely to be bumping into guards and to be profiled based on the fact that you have a tracksuit on and your hood up and you're coming out of Dolphin House, well, then you're being profiled and the law is being unevenly distributed in your direction, even though there's people in another community with the exact same amount of drugs in their pocket. 100%. Well, I mean, it's straight up an agent of inequality. It's, an totally. a, it's unfair. Yeah. Because I remember when I was living in S Block, Fatima Mansions. Uh, the summer of 97 or perhaps some other time when I was just visiting when I was still in UCC the guard stopped me walking out I was walking from S block through to the Reuben Avenue side and the guards just fucking stopped me and uh, they were asking me what I was doing I was like I live in S block <laughs> and uh, they were really had like an attitude with me yeah. and like I kept my cool but I remember walking away being like wow, you got to keep you cool all the time when you're yeah, a 16-year-old exactly. kid. Imagine, like, and, and how volatile you'll be to respond to that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So when, like, guards had a major presence in my life growing up. And it's taken me a long time to try and actually lose, even now at 35. Your resentment uh, against the resentment. fucking guards, the yeah, shades. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, but that's because... I've taken hidings, I've taken yeah. punches, I've taken, and that's as a 12 and 14 year old, like four for something child. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it's very hard to just drop all that and move away from all that. And like, I do think we have obviously a lot of great guards. I mean, and it's, but when you're meeting them in, like, I mean, do you know what they used to stop an assholes? We'd have a radio, right? And you'd be just on the street. You're not actually near anyone. You'd be just playing it. You'd be playing whatever on the radio. And they'd come over and they'd take the radio. And then they'd say, and we'd say, like, don't do that. Like, do you know what I mean? Or you'd have to get it for Christmas or something. And they would say, have you got the receipt on you? And I'm like, what? Why would I be carrying a receipt around off me radio? Like, who does that? <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so then they'd take it off you and keep it. Really? But they done that with everything. Like, you know, like what child at 14 who's listening to music on the street has. But it was real this assumption that if you don't have a receipt and you can't display a receipt for me now, we're going to assume you've robbed this from somewhere. But I assume that a, that a culture of us and them slash like, I assume all that becomes pervasive. 
Yeah. You know? but, and, but also, I think under drug decriminalization, you could begin to actually heal some yeah. of that relationship because, you know, young flies on the street that you're spending your time pulling over and taking drugs off are really not really not the target we should be going off if we're talking about international levels of drug dealing and violence. Do you know what I mean? So sure. if you free the state up and free the guards up and train the guards and, and resource take, the guards. Take some kids out to, of prison. To go in that direction. To, to look at, like, you, so if, if you're saying supply is your issue, go and deal with supply. Don't be, you know, pulling a young fella over and, and fucking using your day as wages to arrest somebody for, like, you know, a fucking... 20 euro rock of crack in your pocket but 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 it seems to me that there's large enough support for decriminalization Huge. they've ignored the, the that, that group that set up now said if you're caught once we'll send you towards a health-led approach caught twice and we'll have discretion if we give you like a caution caught toward time you're a criminal yeah so how does that make sense so the first time it's a health issue but the tour time you're a criminal so it's just well especially because you can fucking hold pints in your hand every fucking night. Yeah. And what's but, the difference? But the difference, and, 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 and again, the, this government, Fina Gael, have tried to sell us this idea that they've moved towards a health-led approach based on this proposal. But actually, it's another middle-class law. So the likelihood of you being a fucking law student in Trinity... Yeah, you're never going to get to three. You're never going to get to three. The likelihood of you being caught once is right. It's there, maybe on a way to a festival or on a yes. night out or whatever. But the likelihood of you ever moving to being a criminal. So basically, you're still criminalizing the people who live in poverty that end up in addiction. So you're still criminalizing addiction. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it still doesn't really... Doesn't change anything. Doesn't change anything. I mean, I read up. I, I did. I, it's not that long ago that I talked about this. I was just curious to talk to you because I know you're more in the world. But I read up a bit on the Portuguese model. I feel like... This concept of a civil law versus a what common was it? law. Common law. I feel like that's a bit of a cop out. It is because there's actually I've been doing a bit of work with um some guards. I don't know what you call them in England, but they're UK guard. <laughs> what are they called? Police. Like, police. Yeah. yeah. So like, but they they do amazing constabulary. Work. Yeah. Constabulary. Working for the Home Office. All <laughs> oh, right. But uh, they do great work. So there's a place in Thames Valley, um, a guard, a guard, two guards, two police there in Thames Valley that I had over recently to speak to a cross-party group on drug policy reform. But I met them in Edinburgh recently when a load of us from around the world are look, working together on justice reform. And they, at a local level, in their area, have de facto um, moved to decrim. So they've there's another law that was brought in in England. So they made Hampstead them? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> Amsterdam. Hampstead, you know, that's from yeah. the wire, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, no, I was just saying because that, that cop did that sort of like yeah. without official signs. No, like just their own their own initiative. There was a guy before him I presented in Westminster about two years ago to the cross-party group over there in Chatham House. I presented and they, um, there was a guy called Ron Hogg. <laughs> he's, a, he's a police um, don't make any hog jokes. No, no hog jokes for me. No. <laughs> I think his sore name is Hog anyway. I went to school with a hog. <laughs> it is a sore name, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's yeah. Irish, actually. Um, and well, certainly, yeah. Scottish, <laughs> Scottish scrum half is a Stuart hog, right? Oh, right, yeah. yeah. But you so know, I know you don't care about he, rugby. He, nah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, um, he, int- he, he also was moving more towards that in where he worked. And they're doing great work. And they're a UK common law system. Do you know what I mean? So if we're saying that we're like England, we have common law, we can't have decrim. Well, then obviously there's another loophole in England that's being created to be able to create um, some level of, of decriminalization. And um, 
the, the, the they're doing it like you know so I think it is a cop out yeah I can't understand why they don't bring it in here it just doesn't make any sense to me no. whatsoever I, I can't I can't think of a single argument against it no so the arguments that I would have faced the most is oh you're saying it's all right to use drugs and we're like I don't think that's like a message that anyone is going with we're going with the realities of drug use yes Do you know what I mean so it's not about a narrative or a message around it's hypocrisy anyway because you're all fucking drinking yeah but also why should we use the the, the suffering of somebody as a weapon to try and say now see little jimmy yeah. me lovely son take drugs and you'll end up like him over there and he's a criminal yeah. you know so why would you use someone else's suffering as some sort of moral bashing yes. for children you know what about the children is a big one do you know what i mean yeah like it's that kind of message but also um it's this real lack of uh acceptance that prohibition doesn't work yes. and that actually our drug use is increasing increasing mm -hmm. day on day so like actual the current law so there's actually i think something seriously wrong with people and they're bringing their own morals well, it's, also, it's just a cultural shift anyway isn't it yeah. it's just drug use has become more normal people do it so why are we pretending it's not the case yeah. you know and it's like, the same it's it's almost the same as Sending people to England to get a fucking abortion. Exactly. It's fucking happening. Yeah. So can we just fucking yeah. deal with reality rather than some yeah. some moral fantasy? Yeah. Like, and, and those messages, like the facts that drugs are illegal or the facts that schools try to kind of sell that don't, don't you know, war on drugs, don't yeah. use drugs, never stopped any of us. Has not worked. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, just accept that and look at alternative ways to approach it. Yeah, you it know? just doesn't work. Yeah. That's what, that's what, that's what I don't understand is... They keep sort of saying this won't work. And it's like, but but we don't even know yeah. if it'll work or not. But we know that this isn't working. Yeah. So why are you not looking for an alternative? Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I, I, I honestly, I don't get it. You know, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I'm a fucking, I'm a clean and sober motherfucker since 1995. But I, I, if somebody said we should legalize it all, I, I would be fine with it. But I, I know that you can't talk about, like, there's no real popular support for legalization, but... I think that's the only way to get rid of yeah, the... Yeah, and I mean, legalisation has, has lots of benefits and makes a lot of sense as well in terms of the type of drugs that would be on the street and how it's regulated yeah. and revenue. But obviously and, the, the consumption you know, would increase. But, but the 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 actual um, conversation on a national level hasn't kind of gone there yet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, just because that, to me, I feel like that's the only way to get rid of a lot of the criminality not yeah. all of it not all but then you know i always kind of battle against that idea i remember um challenging richard branson actually weirdly enough um, richard branson yeah on this so he came over here and he was like made like some sort of like world commissioner on drugs reform or something like can be corrected on his title you can google it later yeah. um so he was talking about legalization which is fine um and he said that uh I asked him a very unpopular question because other people weren't happy with me questioning the room when I bring drug dealers into it. So I was pointing out, well, what do we do with the drug dealers then in terms of uh, their livelihoods, their revenue, in terms of them being able to transition um, smoothly out of the trade? You know, and they're kind of, kind of like, what? And then he actually made a reference to the fact that when he's when his business, Virgin Media, closed down, he, he you know, his entrepreneurial skills were, were shifted to, I don't know, maybe virgin the airline or something do you know what i mean yeah. i can't remember which two businesses he used in the reference so i'm like well do you not see then that criminality like they're not going to shift into an entrepreneurial idea in the legal world you're yeah. making reference to a, a, a record company and an airline so criminality here won't go down 
like people are intelligent they diversified our market like during the downturn when cocaine use went down and drug dealers around here and around Talla that were only cocaine dealers that didn't want to sell heroin because there's a hierarchy in that so they look mm. and go I don't sell that shit I only sell cocaine they, they diversified their markets where do we think slimming tablets came from where do we think uh, you know fucking tannin injections came from and juicy couture handbags and then four drug dealers putting 25 grand each to a pot to bring over uh, illegal tobacco do you know what I mean and bringing the crate over 100,000 and whatever money they make off that like they did people diversify it and that's what happens you will legalize drugs a i know but do you think look for criminality elsewhere. yes but do you do you think it's it's worth being concerned about them like in the sense that they'll figure it out does it require yeah, I'm, it's not that i'm concerned about them i'm concerned about the messaging that we will somehow reduce criminality we will oh, right. shift it to something else yes yes i guess i guess the argument would be that Drugs are so profitable that you will yeah. reduce the violence associated and with the criminal. And that's the important bit we need to get to. So you, the violence is the biggest issue people have with the drug trade. I think if the violence didn't exist, people would pay less attention to the drug yes. trade. Well, I should read. So I, I met with the, with the, one of the people that were high up in, in Colorado in the in the um, industry, the cannabis industry yeah. over there. And I floated this idea by them. I said to her um, when I was in Westminster at that time, I said to her, um, what do you think of the idea if you have a drug dealer that doesn't have, like, they've not killed anyone, they've no, you know. They've no violent no, crimes. They've no violent crimes. Uh, and they're extremely entrepreneurial. And being able to actually transition them into the legal entity. Yeah. So literally, you're telling them that they were very bad and drugs were illegal and drug dealers are scumbags. But now we, the state, are going to sell the exact same drug that you sold, but we're not scumbags. Yeah. Do you know what well, I mean? That's a good point. So it's like, what do you do with, with all those people that are doing the exact same thing, but say non-violent, people that have non-violent yeah, crimes well, Just let them. them sell it and let them pay tax. Yeah. And when you buy drugs, you have to tap. It has to. T- you have to tap on your credit card. It has to be a fucking paper trail. <laughs> Yeah. There's going to be no cash anywhere. Like, none of these motherfuckers, like, they're going to be dealing in Bitcoin and all that. I mean, come on, just fucking, just legalize it and fucking, they all can get these, you know, Wi Fi enabled credit card machines. Yeah. And you just fucking tap. Pop up shops and all. Yeah. You'd be seeing them all there worried in fucking Dolphin House, worried about that. Oh, man, fucking, what's going on? My head is wrecked, man. I'm fucking paying so much VAT. But then, know what? You'd also get them paying for their mas and their sisters and their brothers to, uh, train an accountancy yeah so exactly actually, so you create a whole cottage industry 100 percent. you know what amen I mean? i'm down communications pr i'm down with it man <laughs> i can't wait because i i'm gonna get a job yeah i, I, I what annoys me none of these fucking drug deals around here have ever asked me to hide money i think i'm a good <laughs> i think i'm a good i charge a fucking 10 percent only you fucking hide your money in my chimney bro i don't give a fuck you know i got a chimney in every room i only light the fire in one room really annoys me <laughs> A guy I know, a guy, a guy I knew from recovery, never went back using, but he got fucking done for fucking hiding All money drugs. for the kin. No, yeah. money for money. the kinhins. Yeah, he's in jail now. <laughs> That's a great thing about NA. It connects you to all these people you would have never met. Yeah, lots of characters. All right, well, listen. That's the end of our Dead Bishop podcast chat. Now, we're chatting for longer. Are you okay for time? Yep. So, thanks to Lynn for her time. I hope that... Uh, her cup of tea and her chat by the fire were enough. Had the fire lit. Um, I 
would like to, you know, there's a, many things I would like to chat to Lynn about, but I couldn't keep her forever because I also did keep her for another 45 minutes after this chat finished. Uh, that'll be on in a few weeks. Um, any feedback, please do message me at Des Bishop on Instagram, Twitter at Des Bishop, Facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop, and TikTok, Des Bishop 5. I've been doing some silly stuff on TikTok, but that's just a bit of crack, you know? And it's also kind of a way to touch base with some younger fans, you know, keep the whole, keep the the broad generational appeal going. So uh, anyway, would love some feedback. Um, we don't get enough feedback, actually, from the Des Bishop podcast, I have to say. Uh, so I would appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you leave comments, we do love comments on iTunes, I have to say. If you've never left a comment on iTunes, please do. It helps our chart position also which people care about. Um, and other than that, listen, we'll be back next week. As I said before the ep, uh, we'll continue that discussion with Stephen Mullen because there's more episodes have come out from uh, that I I Iman Amrani chat that we were talking about last week. So we'll continue that chat and we'll have Joanne McNally on uh, to talk about whatever. She's been messaging me lately. Suddenly she realizes if she has a podcast, she can talk about whatever the hell she wants. So uh, that should bear fruit. And we'll be coming up with a new name for the podcast very soon. But for now, goodbye from the Des Bishop Podcast. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.